Welcome to Sword and Shield, the official podcast of the 960th Cyberspace Wing. Join us for insight, knowledge, mentorship, and some fun as we discuss relevant topics in and around our wing. Please understand that the views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the U.S. Air Force nor the Air Force Reserve, and no endorsement of any particular person or business is ever intended. Good day, Gladiators. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Sword and Shield podcast. This is Francis Martinez, Director of Psychological Health for the 960, 960th Cyberspace Wing. I have a very special guest joining us on the phone today. Hi, so I'm Birgit Locklear. Um, I am a clinical, a licensed clinical social worker in Maryland, and I am also a certified trauma therapist. So I'm very excited to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Um, So I know you are also the executive director at Pathways in the local DMV area, right? DC, uh, Maryland, Virginia area with multiple clinics, correct? Correct. Yes. So I am. um, I wear a lot of hats right now. I am the new executive director for uh, Pathways, which is an organization that kind of helps people with mental health barriers to to live the best life they can. And as part of that organization, we have several outpatient mental health clinics that I'm currently still the acting director for. And I'm also still acting as a therapist because once you're a therapist, you're never not a therapist and you never not want to see clients and do that, even though a hundred other people tell you you're doing too much. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so our, our organization has the clinics. We have a, um, we have supported housing program. We have support employment program and we have a community support program. So it's really kind of a wrap around to really help people live the best life they can. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you guys are doing some great things out there. And we have uh, we have a lot of our folks that are assigned to the 51st NOS out at uh, Langley live in that DC metro area. So that's why we want to kind of incorporate um, some of our, our folks where they're living and what services are available to them. Right. No, that's great because I am myself am a, um, a ex-military spouse, so, but I guess like a therapist. Once you're a military spouse, you're always a military spouse. Um, so my husband is a retired Air Force. And so we traveled around the world and did that. And his last assignment actually was he had bowling Air Force Base in D.C. Well, it's, I guess, in Maryland. And so we have Andrews Air Force Base here. We have bowling. We have um, the Navy has installation at Pax River, which is very close to us here where I, so we're in Southern Maryland in the, um, it's called the Waldorf area. Anybody who's ever been down here knows Waldorf because it's a, it's, a, it's a traffic trap. <laughs> and, and we do get quite a lot of, you know, um, military folks, um, mainly dependents, you know, wives, sometimes parents, sometimes children so and it's really nice for me to be able to do this we work a lot with organizations to support military Uh, like for instance maryland's commitment to veterans we work with them a lot and partner with them so so yeah that's definitely something that we're we're able to provide and, and connect people with that's great so june is ptsd awareness month and um, I wanted to bring you on uh, due to your background. I know you're a certified trauma therapist and, and I mean, most military clinicians have to have some sort of trauma 
uh, toolkit, right, to to really work with our our members. Uh, I don't I don't think people really realize that um, about seventy percent of adults um, experience at least one traumatic event in their lifetime. Now that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to end up with PTSD or be diagnosed with PTSD. It's just that's how prevalent trauma really is and how it impacts us. Um, with that, about 20% of people who experience a traumatic event will develop PTSD in their lifetime, which is about 8 million people every year. Right. It's, it's really, you know, that's how I got into trauma care because um, I started out at a local health department in their mental health division. That's where I did my last internship before my, you know, I obtained my master's degree. And um, then I was hired on as a therapist and, you know, we treat people with depression and anxiety and um, bipolar disorder and all sorts of things. But then it's in, in this area, or I guess any area we know now from the statistics you just mentioned, when you scratch the surface and you look beyond the symptoms and you start, you know, learning about the lives of your clients, you suddenly, I suddenly realized there's this trauma everywhere. There's this horrible events. And, and sometimes we think of trauma as like the big events, right? So I give presentations to the local police force and that's my intro question always like, what do you think trauma is? You know, what does that word mean to you? And, you know, we think war certainly and we think car accidents and we think physical trauma, but there's so much more to it. There's these insidious forms, you know, these hidden forms of trauma that happened in childhood. And it can be as easy, you know, as uh, frequent caregivers or um, a lot of parental violence. Or so, for instance, for military children, we move a lot, right? My, my children moved a lot. They never knew, how, you know, that, oh, there are people that keep their friends, the same friends the whole time. That's just weird. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was before I'm old. So that was before social media. So now, actually, it's funny because now they're connecting with some of the people they met before. But just these like frequent moves and then sadly we know in the military there are pretty high rates of because of all the stressors of substance use and domestic violence and 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 all these you know, stressors ptsd from combat and then what what do the spouses experience from that so there's all these different forms of trauma that that i never even thought about when i was in school you know you kind of learn okay so if there's an earthquake people will be traumatized and you get them and you debrief them and da, da, da. But so the more I practiced, the more I learned all these different forms and the more I learned that actually there's a lot of misdiagnosis too for people that have trauma disorders. They kind of put into different category and different boxes, specifically bipolar disorders, a frequent one, because the symptoms of trauma can look like bipolar disorder. So you could look very depressed and then you could look very angry or hyper or manic or anxious. Um, the differences are during traumatic events. And so it's kind of everywhere. And that's what I found. And that's when I really, because at the time in school, they didn't teach a lot about it, like, you know, specifically. So that's when I really dug into it. And I got some very specific treatment uh, modalities under my belt. So I could really help those folks, you know. And then when you, funny enough, when you address the trauma symptoms and help people um, kind of process through their events, then the other symptoms go away or get better or can be easier dealt with. And so if we think of trauma, you know, that's one of the things I really want to drive home. Trauma is not necessarily, trauma is not necessarily the event. It's our reaction to an event. And as you mentioned, you know, 
not everybody necessarily gets traumatized. So our brain does this thing where it processes stuff through. I was just like a meat grinder, right? We feed the meat in and the sausages come out. We got a picnic and <laughs> we're good to go. But sometimes uh, some bones get into the machine and everything gets stuck. And that's kind of, that's a trauma reaction then. So if, if, if your brain can't process it through after a while and you get stuck and you're re-experiencing these things and you start having physical symptoms and you get depressed or you get anxious that's what we call the trauma reaction then so it's everywhere and i think some people think that it's the symptoms are included are the flashbacks are the nightmares are like severe symptoms right because that's what mm-hmm. they see on tv or that's what right. you know people have told them can you talk a little bit about what ptsd symptoms can really look like and you know, like how little significant, how little or insignificant things can kind of um, accelerate some of these symptoms. Right, right. So that yeah, that is very important because that is that thing, right? We see the we see the movie where the the veterans in the grocery store and he you know there's a backfire of an exhaust pipe and he hits the deck and that's the very classic um, kind of example of a flashback. So first of all, when we screen somebody, and I also want to, PTSD is just kind of like one thing we have as a name right now. Us weird folks in the trauma world, we're really desperately looking for more things that can be included that we can better help people understand what they're going through. But as it is right now uh, in the DSM-5, so we have these symptom categories we look for. So first of all, there has to be a traumatic event or a stressful event that either now we know has either been happening to us the person or the person has witnessed it or heard about or it happened to a loved one so that's already a change from how we looked at it in the past we always thought it had to happen to you um it can be a repeated exposure to bad stuff so for instance as you know you and i and and probably everybody who's listening to this podcast if you're connected to the military or law enforcement uh helping professions we're at extremely high risk for trauma reactions because we repeatedly hear about things that are pretty horrible or witness them or exposed to them. So you have to have something happen that threatens your safety. That's, what we, that's another good way to look at a traumatic event. So if your sense of safety and what you know to be true, for instance, COVID is a traumatic event, right? So we'll probably have as a country, a trauma reaction to that. Um, so then we have the intrusion symptoms, so things that intrude into come back up from your brain, so things your brain kind of throws back up at you, saying, look at this. And this can be a flashback, it could be a nightmare, but it could also be a physical reaction. And if you think about it, many of us have maybe a song that brings up really good fuzzy feelings, you know, um, or a song that reminds us of something bad and we kind of get the EBGBs, you know, mm-hmm. very cool term of EBGBs. Um, but yeah, so, so we go by a place where something bad happened, right? So that could be this kind of, we could get headaches, we could suddenly get really weird feeling in our stomach, we could start shaking. So those are also re-experiencing things. The next thing that we're looking for, are there any ways that we avoid things? So we have the intrusion stuff intrudes, but we're also constantly starting to avoid things that are associated with the traumatic event. So again, a classic example of a car accident, it happened in a certain road, you don't wanna go down that road anymore. You go five, you go 50 miles out of your 
way, right? To not get to that traffic light. That's a classic example, but it could be more subtle than that. It could be memories. It could be feelings. It could be um, um, conversations, activities, objects, situations. So it could be all sorts of things that suddenly you avoiding. And what helps us to avoid things really wonderfully? Substances, right? So that's where substance use comes into. Um, um, is actually, I look at substance use usually as a symptom of uh, trauma. You know, we're dealing with something, we're dealing with the, maybe the flashbacks, we're dealing with the avoidance. Or we wanna avoid something, we wanna avoid uh, how we feel about something. Another thing we're looking at is changes in mood and thoughts. So what happens with trauma is um, we change our beliefs. You know, if, if we grow up in a pretty uh, nothing much happens world, then we kind of think the world's a good place and people are here to help us and, and we're loved and, and that gets turned around in trauma. So suddenly we might believe the world is a dangerous place. People are out to get me. People will always hurt me. I cannot ever be in a good relationship, um, things like that. And then we have emotions that just go really sour that we, people that have severe trauma can only experience um, depression or horror or anger or guilt or shame. And they find themselves not being able to experience love anymore or happiness. So when I work with veterans specifically or people that have been in combat or any other situations, I've heard before where clients tell me, you know, I see my kids on the swing set and I remember that used to make me happy and I can't feel happy. I don't have that feeling. I remember it, but I can't have that now. And it's really scary. So it's really scary to people. Um, when that happens. And then we also have that people kind of go up and down in how reactive they are, right? So that's when, here's where it comes in that oftentimes the, the misdiagnosis to bipolar disorder happens because people can become very irritable, very angry, have a lot of outbursts. They can tend to be verbally or physically aggressive. Um, they might set self-destructive behaviors such as substances, such as cutting, such as, um, I know, excessive sex, you know, unprotected sex being, um, that's on the upside. On the downside, people become kind of very super hyper vigilant. So they look out for everything. They could become startled very easily. They might have problems concentrating. Children with PTSD symptoms are often misdiagnosed as having ADHD because there's oftentimes a lot of problems concentrating and they tend to be very fidgety. And sleep disturbances, physical symptoms, and then at the very extreme end, we have uh, what we call dissociation where people are just kind of, they don't feel real or the world doesn't feel real to them. And that comes from um, when the brain is so threatened, it kind of has to tune out and then that becomes a state in itself. So there's so much, as you see, there's all, this, all these things, right? That, that, and we're looking for a certain amount of these symptoms in each of these categories. Yeah, there's a lot, right? And I think yeah. that's the challenge for uh, clinicians, providers um, to really kind of pinpoint what we're really dealing with. And it's like an onion, right? Everyone's like an onion. And when you start peeling back the layers, that's when we kind of figure out what's really going on. Um, so, right. so, you know, it's always a challenge when we send people to mental health or, you know, to see their primary care physicians for um, diagnosis because we can't always, you know, well, we can 
have rule outs, right? We, we think it might be this, or we're going to rule out these three items versus if you break your arm, you go and get an x-ray, it's clear right. and cut, right? It's like, okay, yeah. this, this is a treatment plan. Um, but PTSD and, and, you know, brain health is very different than, than physical health. And so I think that's the, the challenging part. Um, but there is hope. I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing to know. There is hope for, um, for PTSD. Yes. One of the reasons I like to be a trauma therapist is because actually it's one of the most treatable conditions there is, if you know what you're doing. Yeah. So any, anybody out there, usually when I give these presentations, people at the end are like, oh my God, I have PTSD. And remember I do them for the police force a lot. So I'm like, yeah, you probably do. Um, but my message is there's hope. That's why we're doing this thing that's called the ACE screen, for instance. It's where we look for adverse childhood events. Mm -hmm. And um, we look at pediatricians now look at that. It's 10 questions. And we want to know, did these things happen in this child's life? Because we know when people have... Um, have those adverse events, those bad events happening in childhood, it's just yes and no questions, you know, then they're more likely to have mental health disorders. They're more likely to have substance use. They're more likely to have, to be victimized further. They're more likely to maybe victimize somebody else, you know, and then they also with a high, um, with a high ACE score. So if you have more than six out of these 10 questions, a yes, um, there's actually, if you have more than eight, you know, more likely to die up to 20 years earlier than, than your peers that don't have these ACE scores. So we look at those early in childhood and we can set interventions. Mm -hmm. um, PT, so we start early nowadays, thank God, you know, finally. And we look at, um, at our kids and, and what we can do differently. But even if somebody as an adult um, experiences trauma or now says, I think I have, I think I have a trauma reaction from, from, from all this. Not just from hearing this, but from you know putting it together. <laughs> um, There's so many modalities now that really go beyond talk therapy. Talk therapy is great and it's part of it, but in trauma, it's sometimes beyond words. So we need to look at art therapy. Um, there are many. There's this weird therapy where we kind of, in the old forms, wiggle our fingers in front of your eyes. It's called EMDR, which is um, eye movement desensitization desensitization and reprocessing where we help the brain like i talked about the meat grinder this seems to help the brain processes too and the, the va uses emdr now a lot so it's a very good wonderful evidence-based um thing we can do so there's so many modalities that you can access and if you think you have a trauma reaction when you try to find a therapist ask them if they're trained in trauma because that is the most that's the biggest message I want to give everybody. It's okay to ask questions when you go for help, you know, and, and you, this is what, like I said, one of my most treatable things. And you might not even need medication. You might initially to help you, you know, access the therapies, but once we help the brain wants to heal, just like a cut on your arm wants to heal. Mm -hmm. And, and if a therapist is trained in those things that can help you, your brain will do the rest. Right. And that's why I love working in trauma because it's so beautiful to see people, you know, to see the person that, that watches their kids on the swing set and can't be happy. And suddenly they're like, I went to the park and it felt so good. And for the first time in a long time, I was really there and I, I felt that love. And, and it just gives me goosebumps, you know, when people come around like that. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, the progression. And that's, that's why I keep doing what I do, because I love that, you know, taking someone and helping them find that path to healing. Absolutely. Um, 
So here are some statistics, right? Because uh, I deal with cyber people that are very like, we want very cut and dry answers. So, yeah. <laughs> so about 46% of people with PTSD improve within about six weeks of beginning psychotherapy. So that's like reaching out to counselors, getting in treatment. Um, that doesn't mean hospitalization. That means outpatient uh, care. And about 62% um, saw improvement um, when they began medication management. So um, getting on whatever your, your physician prescribes to help with uh, the symptoms of PTSD. Um, things that can help their prognosis of PTSD are seeking treatment, right? Um, average, on average, people will be in treatment for about three years. Um, they notice that the symptoms will, um, they don't all go away, but they have significant improvement. Um, and then those that lasted longer, about five and a half years, are those that did not have any treatment. So um, take a look at that and, you know, knowing that uh, there are tons of options out there for you. Not every therapist, like Birgit said, is going to be a trauma certified therapist um, or have the uh that treatment-based modalities like EMDR or CPT or prolonged exposure to help you process your trauma. So ask the questions that you um, need to ask in order to feel comfortable. And if the therapist isn't for you, we can get you to um, a different person. That way you can find one that you can really build that rapport with. But the other parts are, you know, improvements to prognosis is also building your social support, um, building mm -hmm. those networks around you, avoid re-traumatization. In the hospitals, we talk a lot about trauma-informed care, um, and it's all about, you know, preventing re-traumatization. But even in your workplace settings, right, some things can be very traumatic or re-traumatizing to people that you don't even realize, right? And so, um, kind of taking that culture into consideration, the conversations people are having in front of other folks, um, just the way the offices sometimes are situated. Um, and so those are some of the things to take into consideration. Mm -hmm. And also that, you know, what I find so important is too, that once you understand that something impacted you and you need help to work that through, understand, like you just gave us those numbers, right? Earlier, how, how widespread trauma is. We know that probably every other person, if not more that you meet, will have something that mm -hmm. in their lifetime has impacted them. So their reaction to whatever you say might not be because of you. It might be because of what they've been through. And, and I think once we see each other through that lens, it's also much easier to be kind to each other and find compassion. Because I think when we can find compassion in the workplace, in our communities, um, understanding that everybody has been through stuff and that might not have been traumatic to you, right? It's not, but it's not a race. It's not a competition. Right. Um, and just that is such a wonderful thing when people can open that up. And I think it can change really our own lives when we just have that attitude of kindness and compassion and ex expectation that everybody's been through stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the part that we are really trying to drive home is that connectedness, right? Being connected mm -hmm. to your people, being an intrusive leader, getting to know who your people are and just, you know, 
developing those relationships. That's what it's all about, right? Relationship development. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get to know your people, you're not going to know they've been through X, Y, and Z. Right. And, and as some, I mean, people will actually tell you, this is like when we talk about suicide, right? If you will be amazed, you're not going to make somebody think about suicide by asking them, you're not going to make somebody traumatized by asking them if they had trauma or or if you just notice a big change in the people you work with, right? If they're suddenly late, if they're suddenly really not talking, if they're pulling back, if they're just, are you okay? If they, if they want to talk, they'll, they'll talk. <laughs> and if not, but you open that door, yeah. you can open the doors. You're creating that open environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Birgit, so much for joining us today. Um, If you or someone you know are contemplating suicide, please contact the National Suicide Hotline at 800-273-8255. Beginning July 16th, that number will change to 988. So July 16th, 988 is a new uh, National Suicide Hotline. Um, Again, Birgit, thank you so much for joining us today. I know the listeners are probably going to love this podcast. and you know, hopefully, it promotes uh, people going out to to get the necessarily the necessary help that they need. I hope so, and thank you so much for having me. I love to talk about trauma. It's 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 a wonderful field to be in. We really see those changes, and trauma therapy can be hard. You know, it's, it can be you bring it brings up emotion, but it's also really cool um, to connect with other people and be able to connect again. And sometimes you get to draw and sometimes you get stress balls. So it's a really fun thing sometimes, <laughs> but it is hard work too. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Gladiators out. <laughs>